Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborne. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutter puts the bro in broisto, <laughs> and this morning we'll be sharing stories of accompanying people who are in the midst of suffering with our friends Deacon Doug Iglesias and Celeste Schmelzer. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. He starts with a prayer. Yes, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this new day, for new beginnings, for new insight, for a new day to love you and to know you and to rejoice in your goodness. Lord, we ask in those moments where it is difficult to rejoice that you give us courage and insight into your goodness and who you are. Lord, we ask for grace to carry our daily crosses and when we can to help others carry theirs as well. Lord, we pray for deeper love, deeper faith, deeper charity, deeper peace, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, just to meet you and to allow ourselves to be met by you. And we offer our prayers and everyone who has asked for our prayers through our motherly intercession. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Guys, the men's conference is tomorrow. So if you haven't registered yet for the conference, or if you have registered and you have uh, that friend that you want to invite to go with you, you can still get your tickets online at stgabrielradio.com. Tomorrow, the 27th annual Columbus Catholic Men's Conference at the Ohio Expo Center, John Edwards, Chris Stefanik, and Father Burke Masters are the keynote speakers. Bishop Fernandez will be celebrating Mass. So, And Dave, will you be there at the booth to say hi to our friends? I will be there um, on air a fair amount okay. uh, during the day. But yeah, ab- absolutely pop over to the booth. And I love it just seeing the guys having fellowship Mm -hmm. last week was an extraordinary women's conference i pray and i hope and i expect that it'll be repeated tomorrow amen yeah how was your evening oh it was fun (laughs) a friend texted (laughs) me and said did you know it's national margarita day so i said no thank you for telling me (laughs) so we went and out out and enjoyed a margarita together so that was fun very nice very <laughs> nice kind of took it easy you know get my rest before the conference good it's important at this age <laughs> it, <so>. it is <laughs> i have a new hoodie did you notice my new hoodie i didn't know it was new it, yeah it was a birthday present present university of mary marauders oh hey yeah from your daughter from my daughter yeah that's great i haven't quite figured out the marauder thing yeah what is that all I know is if in high school, if mom and dad said, Dave, what are you doing tonight? And I said, the buds and I are heading out to Maraud. Okay. They would say, the heck you are. <laughs> I've never heard that word before. <laughs> I know it has something to do with pillaging. Okay. So, yeah. Pillaging, maybe not a good idea. Yeah. Hmm. 
But it, it does sound pretty cool for a mascot. That so. is the Marauders. <laughs> Go Marauders. So for our friends that are listening in North Dakota, and there may be, I mean, it's possible, right, yeah. that there's somebody in North Dakota listening. Go Marauders. Go Marauders. <laughs> our gospel today is from Matthew chapter 5. And this is verses 20 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is hungry or whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there. At the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. Right away, the Lord says, I, I tell you, unless you your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. What about that stood out to you? Well, I mean, where, where's the bar there, right? I mean, I, I mm. think when, it's, I think we're so quick to say that's a pretty low bar, right? I mean, it, just the way that you know, I think we think of the historically of, and we know how the story ends, right? With the Pharisees and, 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 and the, uh, and, and the scribes, how they condemned Christ, but they were, um, the religious authorities. These were good Jews. They were following the law as they understood it. What Christ is doing here is he's saying, I, I'm giving you something more. And so don't throw away everything that you've learned about the law. Absolutely not. But I'm calling you to something else. So that bar is a little bit higher than I think we sometimes, you know, place it there. You know, they were observant Jews and, and the people that Jesus is talking to are good Jews. So what Jesus is saying, do better, mm. do better than this. And this is how you reconcile. You know, I'm calling you to, to forgiveness, to reconciliation, and take what you've learned, take what you know, but follow me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that aspect of forgiveness is also what stood out to me. Um, therefore, if you bring your gifts to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you. Um, and then a few lines down, it goes on to say, settle your opponent, settle with your opponent quickly. 
and just the overall theme of especially during this time of Lent and you know the things that I'm offering to the Lord anything that we're offering to the Lord during this time of Lent how how much of an offering is it if I lack forgiveness in my heart hmm. and I think that's what stood out to me this idea of um yeah am I am I quick to forgive and it is the offering that I have to offer the Lord if it's not without what should properly be in my heart forgiveness of others then then what do my offerings really mean mm-hmm. he wants a heart contrite right mm-hmm. and um and also one that that forgives neighbor so I think that's what stood out to me very this, nice mm-hmm. Cameron kind of going off of that Amanda too it's also not just something that Jesus wants for us but that we should want for ourselves mm. I was also just thinking of that line chewing on that line so to speak of of when you bring your gift to the altar mm-hmm. um, I would hope that I would bring it with nothing else like on my arms or or like weighing me back and bringing that like unforgiveness or the anger or the you know slandering your brother or sister in Christ or or whatever it might be is is like throwing an extra bag on there and you know all of a sudden like how are you supposed to offer a gift if your hands are already full with other things um and so recognizing that like when I'm when I'm coming to the altar to serve to pour out to give of myself am I coming free enough to do that mm-hmm. um or or do I need to be freed more and to me it's like I, I'm really excited for this weekend um because one of the most impactful things at the men's conference for me is even just like seeing the amount of guys who are lined up for confession and I know a lot of men say that but just like the tangible freedom you can see happening in the room um, mm. is a really beautiful thing and, and being able to like partake in that too and, and go to the sacrament of confession myself. And um, yeah, just like seeing all these guys who are recognizing, hey, I can't be the father, the husband, the man of God that I want to be if I'm carrying all this baggage around with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful reflection. Well said. Thanks. Well said. Guys, let that stir your heart. If you haven't registered, <laughs> go to stgabrielradio.com and, and make that step. Uh, and yeah, let all of us today just pray um, pray about that baggage, those extra things that we're carrying uh, in our hearts that are keeping us uh, um, from loving our, our, our brothers and sisters better completely so that we can love God completely. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be joined here in just a couple minutes by Deacon Doug Iglesias and Celeste Schmelzer as we talk about accompanying others through their suffering. Stay with us. You're listening to the St. Gabriel Cafe. Almighty and eternal God, look upon the face of thy Son, Jesus. We present it to thee with confidence to implore thy pardon 
The all-merciful advocate opens his mouth to plead our cause. Hearken to his cries. Behold his tears. O God, and through his infinite merits, hearken to him when he intercedes for us, poor miserable sinners. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of loyalty is seen in Saints Basil and Gregory Nazianzen. They lived loyalty heroically by remaining friends despite differing opinions. Basil and Gregory became close friends in school and later became bishops. When Basil became an archbishop, he appointed Gregory to a town that was unfaithful to the church. This caused Gregory great grief and conflict, but he forgave Basil. Together, they grew in holiness and remained loyal to Christ. Let us ask Saints Basil and Gregory to pray for us, that we too may grow in loyalty. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Crock, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. When I was in college, I had the privilege of coaching a junior swim team. Children as young as five could join the team, even if they couldn't swim a lap. It was my job to prepare them to complete one lap in competition. Sometimes at the meet, I would rouse the entire team to walk along the poolside with me, loudly encouraging that little swimmer to the other end. With the loving support of the team, the swimmer almost always succeeded. It can be like that in our spiritual lives as well. We can't do it alone, and we don't have to. We have the guidance of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Mother Church, the Blessed Mother, the saints and angels, and our brothers and sisters in Christ, cheering us on toward victory, which is eternal life. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, help us to boldly call on you to reach the goal of eternal life. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and joining us now in the cafe is Celeste Schmelzer and Deacon Doug Iglesias. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, morning, friends. Good morning. Deacon, return appearance. Always good to be here, watching the Holy Spirit move. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Celeste, your first time. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, thank you. Um, Thank you for being here. So tell us a a little bit about yourself. You're from Bremen. Uh, Originally from Lancaster, but Mm -hmm. uh, I've since married in Bremen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have been a nurse, retired in September of this past year, so... 44 years um, at Fairfield Medical Center in Lancaster uh, with background in critical care, surgery, um, Six Sigma, and clinical research. Um, Love being home and being able to enjoy family and having a a life now with retirement. And your family? Um, My husband, Jeff, and we've been married, it'll be 45 years this summer. And we have four adult children and 10 grandchildren. I was looking through uh, your bio. You're a certified master black belt. Is that in Six Sigma? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I was thinking yeah. taekwondo. karate or taekwondo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would have thought the same. <laughs> so it's a process improvement methodology that is sure. for healthcare. Uh, from GE Healthcare is where we were trained. But So I did process improvement projects uh, throughout the organization 
uh, from 2006 to 2018. I'll relax so. a little bit and sit a little closer when yeah. she said black belt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all yeah. a little bit more at ease yeah, now. Yeah, there you so. go. <laughs> so, Celeste, uh, when, when did you hear the call um, to go into nursing? Way back in the 70s, I was a candy striper. Mm-hmm. It kind of ages me. Um, and, and then They don't decide, exist anymore? I've not seen them, but I, no? I, so. been, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what they are. Oh, <laughs> <ouch>. uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So they're young ladies, or well, usually ladies, uh, men that could volunteer time mm-hmm. in a healthcare arena uh, to help uh, patients feeding them or oh, okay. helping them walk or whatever the case may be. The, it was nurse directed. They would guide you to what they needed done when you were there. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I was a, uh, a so candy striper. Yeah. Yeah. Where does, that, striper. where does the title come from? You know, I don't know. Well, they, they had like pink, we pink had, yeah, striped. We had, okay. we had, we had like a, now you can uh, dress with a yes. pink striped apron type thing on okay. it. So, yeah, they were candy strippers. <laughs> uh, but we looking, digress. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> looking at healthcare opportunities because I knew I wanted to take care of patients and help patients and mm. be in the healthcare arena. So, yeah. Others in your family were they were they nurses? Uh, so there are twelve of us, uh-huh. and no one's in the medical field but myself. Mm-hmm. But but you felt that call to serve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In a pretty, I mean, you're you're meeting people in in the midst of very difficult Crisis. situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at, at that age, you yeah. you felt a tug in to do it. Fourteen to eighteen, I did it for about four years. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Deacon, when when you heard the call to enter the diaconate, how strong was the pull for the um for the for the service aspect of of the call to to minister? Well, it started earlier than that, right? So mm-hmm. I, I went to the seminary when I was nineteen, eighteen, eighteen. And um really wanted to just serve because my life changed so much. And and the wounds that I was carrying that Jesus just healed up, right? And the transformation he did, not only to me, but to my family as well. I want the whole world to know. That's like best kept secret, right? We got to tell everybody. So I was going to be a priest um, and then just discerned married life. And I would say from that moment though, I've always been in some kind of ministry, walking with people with whatever they're dealing with. We're with uh, Deacon Doug Iglesias and Celeste Schmelzer. I wanted to talk about, in an earlier show, Amanda, we had talked um, about the difference between bearing your cross and embracing your cross. Mm-hmm. And in your ministries uh, as a deacon as well as a nurse, and I should mention as a wife and mother also, right? I mean, we all, mm-hmm. and as a, as a husband and father, we all have the opportunity to uh, to bear our own crosses, mm-hmm. but then also to help those around us, those that we love the most, um, carry their crosses as well as embrace their mm-hmm. cross, cross. So Deacon, when we say bearing the cross versus embracing it, do you see that distinction? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and myself, or even like you were mentioning Lent and the things we give up, right? Are we giving them up out of, um, being, mad you know Mm. i want that chocolate you know i want that ice cream and um or we saying god i'm giving this to you and through this sacrifice i'm i'm going to be drawn closer to you right Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of suffering 
cognitively, right, or physically, the um, it's very challenging for people to say, God, what are you doing with me through this time versus, you know, I'm mad as hell at you, God. Why did you let this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You know, how dare you? Yeah. Actually, Deacon Doug, I find myself, uh, I feel like quite often sometimes when I go through moments of suffering, in the midst of it or after it, it's typically after it, I find myself in need of repenting and mm. telling the Lord, I am so sorry I went through that time of suffering, which should have been such a gift for me to offer up. And I uh, didn't do it as well as I probably should have. And he knows in my weakness, right, mm-hmm. that that I'm still growing in that. Mm-hmm. But But at the same time, to be able to see it as, okay, Lord, what are you doing in my life versus, Lord, what are you doing? That There's a big difference there. Absolutely. And, and it's we're in a battle. So the evil one knows that too, right? Mm-hmm. And he knows our soft spots. So mm-hmm. he's going to make you mad and be like, this is pointless. What are you, what are you doing this for, right? Mm-hmm. And to then constantly have that discipline. And I think that's what Lent is, right? Is that time of discipline to try and say, you know, those two wolves inside of us and to starve that one wolf, right? And to say, mm. how do I get stronger? So when those battles come, I'm I'm stronger. Mm. And, I, and I know even when my mind doesn't want to go that way that I trust and, and take those following steps. From this uh, morning's prayer, morning prayer this morning in the Liturgy of the Hours, one of the intercessions was, uh, may we receive this day of penance as your gift, Lord, and give it back to you through the works of mercy. Amen. Mm-hmm. Celeste, your early days of nursing, do you recall um, just, just the first time that you really were close to somebody in crisis and being with them and, and just, just the stress that that would be to a young nurse? I would think I would think of two situations. One would be on a personal level with uh, my grandmother, who was elderly and mm-hmm. um, had suffered strokes and was uh, very debilitated from it. But also, I think um, in my when I was a nursing student, I worked at a nursing home. We used to call them nursing homes, extended mm-hmm. care facility, uh, and to see those elderly um, and the struggles and challenges that they have. One of the things that drew me to nursing back then it was new thinking was holistic nursing. So you're talking about mind, body, and soul. And I like that piece uh, versus some other healthcare uh, uh, careers that I could have chosen. Um, I thought that one was what I wanted most was to encompass the mind, the body, and the soul, and to always to be able to help patients, um, not just from a physical standpoint, um, but from their, from their religious or their soul standpoint, as well as their physical standpoint. Mm. Now, as a Catholic, were were you allowed or encouraged to share your faith in those situations? So how how the, do you navigate that with a with a, a patient who may not have faith? So I had the luxury of going to Mount Carmel School of Nursing. So mm-hmm. certainly there was the Catholic emphasis there, which was a great foundation. Um, but I did go to a public um, hospital, so where I've worked. But um, I would not have chosen one that did not allow you to care for the patient's soul um and i had no problem with talking about the religious aspect or um saw near-death experiences or many different things uh with the family as well as with the patients and helping them through that journey um with their physical concerns at that particular point in time but also incorporating the whole um 
religious aspect of it as well. And I never had any problem with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's just so critical because the reality is so many people will not experience church except yeah. that encounter that they had with you, right? Uh-huh. Yes. So if somehow we can, as Catholics, in a loving way, not we're beating people over the head with a Bible or anything like that. Especially at that moment. Yeah, <laughs> especially at that moment. Just letting them encounter that love and that support, that shows them faith yeah. that they've probably never seen. Correct. And and I had the also had the luxury of having many Catholic um uh, physicians as well mm-hmm. as nurses in in the hospital, uh, uh, but yeah. So, I, but I was lu- I felt it was a luxury to be able to share faith. And that's a good thing. Celeste, I I would assume you also had the opportunity to share with others who didn't really understand the idea that you can offer up your suffering. Yes. Did you encounter that quite a bit? Absolutely. Um, so when I worked in the coronary care unit, the CCU. Uh, certainly you're in a critical period with a heart attack or some kind of a heart issue issue and um, sometimes that was their first opportunity and and um, so yes giving them that opportunity to to have the priest or a deacon come in to give the opportunity to um, way back then when I first started the heart attack patient did absolutely nothing you fed them you bathed them uh, they weren't allowed to walk without you being with them. You did their EKGs. You did everything for them. And so it was a great opportunity to be able to share your faith or to mm-hmm. be able to, to, um, my goal too was to be by example. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to see that, you know, that I would be somebody, that, a faith-filled person. Right. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Deacon Doug, maybe you can share with us from maybe a more of a theological point of view, the idea of offering up our suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and how is it redemptive? What, is, what does that mean? I think it sounds great, you know? And right. then when I'm suffering, I'm like, <laughs> what? You know, I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, Paul says that we join our sufferings to Christ and that, um, that we are, you know, offering that for the people who are, are in different periods. It might not be that they're suffering. It might be that they're lost in their faith mm. or they might be suffering with depression or anxiety or something. Um, but to offer that suffering as a prayer, as a sacrifice to them. And I think our world, you know, we, we move away from suffering, right? We, yeah. We're all seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, right? Mm-hmm. And how bizarre that God would bring our faith to say, no, through suffering, it, it is redemptive, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we have to make a choice, like everything, even going back to Lent. Do we make a choice to say, Lord, I offer this to you lovingly or begrudgingly right and, mm-hmm. and angry and the same way as we suffer and it's easy to say when things are good like I started with um, but when they're bad oh it's hard for me to say that right to say Lord I trust in you I trust in you Mother Teresa saying Jesus is with you right now right she's she's kissing you mm-hmm. and the woman said tell Jesus stop kissing me right <laughs> <clears throat> um, in the same way um, right you know, I think that long-term suffering, that is, that is really hard mm-hmm. for people to, to experience that redemptive side of it and to keep offering it up. I think the acute stuff, right, is a little easier. You know, it comes and it goes, but the stuff that's long-term, that's hard. I liked when you first talked about embracing your cross, cross versus bearing your cross. And I think uh, being in healthcare, but also from a personal standpoint in our lives, um, I think that's a great um, characteristic to remember of how we can embrace our cross. Um, I'll, be, I'll say uh, that my husband has a, 
uh, has Parkinson's disease, and I have seen him embrace his cross, mm. not bear his mm. cross. And uh, it's been a great uh, faith uh, opportunity for us and our family. And I think that uh, we all have those crosses, as mm-hmm. you say, uh, and that, that great distinction between bearing it versus embracing it. Yeah, in the, the business world, the secular business world, it's weird. People will tell me their stories, <clears throat> and I swear I've never had one person who isn't carrying a cross yes. of some sort, mm-hmm. right? And even if they don't know God, they're carrying this heavy burden, and it could be all sorts of things, eating disorders. I mean, I, just crazy stuff or yeah. domestic violence or wh- wh- whatever those things are. Um, and it's just amazing how I think God wants to walk with us. In some cases, he doesn't want us to carry certain crosses. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a pastor, uh, Father James Fetcher in Miami, Florida. Guy was awesome. And he would say, put down the crosses. God doesn't want you to carry, you know? Mm. Yes, God, God, oh, God wow. allows you to carry a cross. But don't be putting more on you that, that mm. you don't need to be carrying. And I think that's, that's a big part mm. of walking the faith. With your husband, you know, I see two sides, right, where people will get mad and get angry. Yeah. Did he go through a period of anger? Or? He did not go through wow. a period of anger. So he was just mm-hmm. trusting God knows what he's doing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's De- tough. Deacon Doug Iglesias and Celeste Schmelzer here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. One of those car- one of those crosses I think we carry um, without needing to is just that thought that we have to do it by ourselves, mm-hmm. um, either without God or without the help of others. And having that invitation or even even that um, courage to reach out to somebody and say help me mm-hmm. is um, is very hard sometimes. Especially guys, we're yeah. terrible at it. We're terrible about saying we're suffering or help me or walk with me. We're just we're like we internalize and we shut down, and that just makes it so much better. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, actually, Internal one of my right. favorite stations of the cross is uh, Simon the Serene mm-hmm. because. It's just like, wow, Jesus allowed him to help him carry his cross. And I think that's a great example for each and every one of us, right? Well, isn't that why God put us in community? I mean, why we aren't all in isolation? We just go south when we're in isolation, right? But in community, we have accountability. We have that friendship. And and that's why I think our churches are so crucial. That's part of God's plan. He didn't, he didn't create our faith to be exercised individually. It's in that community that we are pulled up, right? And we're, we're pushed to, to grow and to say, hey, offer this up. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's bring that to God. Let's, how does help God help you make this good or make something good come from it, right? Um, I heard uh, Father Dave Pavanka, he was talking about going to Africa and he met this priest who had Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. And he was immediately praying for him as he was talking to him, just praying that he would be healed. And the priest was going on and on about how it has changed the community. When he first got Lou Gehrig's disease, nobody was going to church. People started going to church. And then nobody was praying, and people started praying. And so this church had built up, and Father Dave was like, should I stop praying? Like, you know, like, <laughs> because God was letting good things come from this, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. Actually, at the women's conference, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe it was... Um, Oh, Heather Kim, yep. who uh, who shared uh, this story of this beautiful healing that she had 
witnessed in her own family. And then she said, but so often, how many times do we cry out to the Lord and ask him to heal? And he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And she's like, let's, let's talk about that because it hurts. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, similar to what you're sharing, Deacon Mm -hmm. Doug, there is so much that God brings forth goodness from our suffering right or or when he doesn't immediately heal he does so much more maybe spiritual healing than we know right right we um you know just in our journey through adulthood we've had families that we've become attached to and so many of them had different traumas you know one had colon cancer one had uh gotten a wreck um like to race race cars and he took the turn at uh four on homestead motor speedway and had this horrific crash but the Catholic community that rallied around these people was just amazing to the point where this one guy was a dentist. He couldn't work for a year and a half. People took over his customers and then kept his business going. These were other dentists and then gave it back to him at the end. Mm, right. Wow. So, you know, but just rallied the faith uh, uh, around these people and the prayer and bringing people into adoration that hadn't been to adoration and, you know, just really allowing God to to move in that area. Deacon Doug Iglesias and Celeste Schmelzer here in the cafe this morning. I don't think the I don't think we do a well enough a, um, a good enough job of sharing these stories with the with the broader culture. I mean, this is one of the greatest things that we have to offer a hurting world. Mm. Um, is is this community that you were talking about? Are, are, are we seen as a community that accompanies and helps people understand their suffering and just showing them the cross? And, and I think if you ask the typical secular person, they'd be like, oh, that's a crutch. You're just trying to make me feel better, right? Mm-hmm. But there's so much more than that, right? I mean, this is a way to encounter Christ. And I think getting that opportunity is hard. You have to get that little foothold, but then you can get in there. But we live in a world of isolation as well, right? Our phones, our computers, they're just keeping us to, to not talk to anybody. And so breaking through that's really hard. Mm-hmm. With this idea of community, Celeste, you have a story, right, about how um, maybe a neighbor stepped in to help you during a time of need. So um, we, our mother um, passed away two years ago. And um, before that, um, our father had been uh, had died uh, in 2016, and we found out quickly how much he had done for our mom. And we needed to get some caregivers, and we needed to provide care for her. Uh, and so we were, uh, so it was about a six-year duration that we were working with this. And so we were having challenges with uh, caregivers. We siblings, there's 12 of us, we siblings would cover and be with mom all night and then on weekends. Um, but we had daytime challenges and so um, my brother bill uh, decided one day he was uh, mom and dad lived in a wonderful area that had a lot of retired people and he thought i'm just going to go out and advertise that we need help from mom in our community well lo and behold the lady and husband behind my mom and dad came forward um, they knew each other by passing and waving to each other mm. uh, and watching each other mowing grass and things, but that was it. And uh, she came into our home and helped our mother, and what a godsend. Mm. Um, a couple of funny things. One was uh, mom had seen uh, there was bushes between the property lines, 
and mom would see him mow grass and she would wave to him but she got to the point she couldn't go outside but she would watch him and so uh when becky came to help mom um when they were talking one day she mom said you know that man mows his grass naked every time and and becky said well, that's my my husband, Rita. But you see, he's not naked. He just doesn't have his shirt on. He's on a riding <laughs> mower. So, so, so the next time he mowed grass, he purposely went on to mom's property and passed the window where she was, where she could see, so that he could see that he was in shorts and shoes and was indeed not naked. <laughs> the other thing was mom, and you know, we, we would interview for candidates to care for mom, and we had a whole process, and um, you know, we were very adamant about looking at um, records of, you know, were they, were they good people, et cetera. So, um, so my mom, one of her questions was always, are you Catholic? And so and some of them were, some of them were. Uh, and, but this particular Becky, uh, she was not, but her husband was Catholic. And so um, he had not practiced for a while. And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, so mom kept saying, you need to be Catholic, Becky, you need to be Catholic. But as we worked through mom and her journey of carrying her cross to death, uh, Becky became more interested in the Catholic faith. Mm. And we said the rosary a lot with mom. We mm. would pray. We would. Um, mom had a lot of, of uh, CDs with religious music and all. Uh, but Becky, when mom was nearing death, uh, came to Bill and I and said that she was interested in the Catholic faith. Wow. So I sponsored her. So I That's sponsored awesome. her, and she came into the Catholic Church. And she and her husband, I just love them dearly, Um He's not naked riding his mower. <laughs> but you they have be been very such clear good, about that. Yes, <laughs> he has been such good people. Yeah. Uh, and mom, you know, mom was the impetus behind that. Um, now, this doesn't have to do with caregiving, but I do know when our, my father passed away, um, it happened to be our son-in-law. Um, afterwards, he had, so he was in his, uh, he wasn't 30 yet, but he had lost both his mother and father before he and my daughter married. Mm. Um, so he was like 25 when he lost both of his parents. And so after that funeral mass, he said, this is the faith I want to, to be in. Mm. So he too um, became Catholic. So, you know, we all had that opportunity uh, just in our daily life uh, mm. to be examples and to help people to see, um, you know, what, what, what good can be from uh, being in our faith. And in the big picture, how much was it, right, to do just a little thing, yes. right? I love those prayer, prayer meal things mm-hmm. when someone's, you know, sick mm-hmm. or has a baby. And then all of a sudden people flood them with, hey, we'll take care of food and stuff. And yes, it's, that's it's true. just Very true. that that little action, action mm-hmm. can change their heart mm-hmm. and how they see faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Celeste Schmelzer and Deacon Doug Iglesias were talking about caregiving here. And <clears throat> what I like about your story, one of the things I like about your story, Celeste, is you brought in um, Becky to care for your mom. Mm-hmm. And your mom really cared for Becky. She absolutely did. And uh, mom wasn't afraid to die. She embraced that journey. Uh, she was a wonderful example to all of her children and uh, siblings, grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the week, uh, 10 days before she passed, she had a stroke uh, and then had another stroke and um, became nonverbal. Um, but I, I believe this firmly that God gives you this time to be able to heal your family mm. and to be and to bring everybody closer. So um, we brought all the family, anybody who could come, and 
Um, though mom could not verbalize, her eyes just glittered with love. Mm-hmm. And all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all got to go up. And we all said the rosary together. They all got to go up and touch and feel grandma. And, uh, it, yeah, it's just those faith-filled oh, moments. Yes. Yeah. And when she passed, we, we, we knew she was passing. Her, um, her condition changed. And, and we just all knelt. And those who were out of state, we um, Zoomed them in. Thank God for technology. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all prayed together. And we um, took oils and, and rubbed mom as she was passing. And just to help her um, with, you know, because her, your breathing kind of slows down. And mm. just to help her as she was passing into eternal life. Mm. Another aspect of your story, Celeste, that I really appreciate was you took this opportunity to invite someone into helping carry, you know, a, a family cross. And because of that, there's this great conversion that came about. And so Absolutely. the beauty that that can happen when we maybe break down some of our own personal walls and allow someone else to enter in and to help us when we are in need. Absolutely. And and you you shine by example. They don't necessarily, you know, it's just just that just what you're doing and uh, makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Celeste, were there situations in in your nursing career where you're in, in in a situation caring for somebody and then you step back and it's like, wait a minute, I'm the caregiver here, mm-hmm. and yet you're the one that's bringing me healing. Uh, so you know, I, now that's that's a great question. I have to think a second. Um, I'm I'm thinking of some of the uh, more difficult challenges and. Um, well, I'm sure Deacon think, Doug, you probably also have experiences of this in your own life of being a deacon and ministering to others and then just learning so much. Oh from my gosh. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. And again, humbled by the people who have suffering of loss of a child or, um, or right now I'm knowing a lot of people with their parents in your situation, right? They're, they're aging, they're losing their cognitive ability. Mm-hmm. And they're really, it's a, a, a very big challenge of faith, right? God, why are you letting my mom go through this? She doesn't even know who she is anymore. Um, and that struggle of, of trusting that God is still doing his redemptive work, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm often humbled by the, the faith that people mm-hmm. have or the conversion. Seeing them transform through that suffering is just so cool, right? Um, and yes, yeah, seeing people who, you know, maybe lost both their parents and now they're realizing, you know what, I didn't need God before. I didn't see that there was any point to this Catholic faith. And now they're in RCIA and, you know, really just allowing God to do, do his work. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've also seen, uh, like you say, at the bedside, I was in a more acute kind of settings, but um, in the bedside where you see the family draw together and um, uh, help that person. Uh, the first time that I ever saw a family, um, it was a hospice patient, but they they worked with that hospice nurse and helped their mother pass. It was She was a young lady who had breast cancer, mm. and they were just teenage children, or mm. just teenagers. Uh, but, um, you know, how that they could... Uh, help that that loved one and help themselves mm-hmm. through that dying process. Yeah, it, and when you see the younger families mm-hmm. really have that world rocked or maybe it's a young mom who passes and 
the husband's left now to raise the family mm-hmm. and you can see the anxiety and and again if they allow god to to move in that it is just beautiful mm-hmm. um and sometimes just walking with them enough to let them throw their fist at god be mad go through that stage of grief right and let them have their temper tantrum but be there to hold them right and let them okay I, I'm, I'm through this now i can carry on with my faith right and i'm thankful also for also for resources uh as such as your faith our, our catholic faith but also i um hospice and palliative care um now that that has blossomed mm-hmm. since the early 70s um our mother her mother passed when she was 12 during childbirth mm-hmm. So there was nine children that she raised. And unfortunately, back then, you, you didn't talk about it. You weren't, a perm- or she wasn't permitted to grieve. They, they just had to barrel through it. And uh, thank God that we are able now to better um, have helping uh, programs or resources for people. Yeah, so I remember in the training to, for the diaconate, they said the most important thing you'll do out of all the stuff you could do is just listen. Mm. Mm. just shut up and listen (laughs) and yeah and i think if we did more of that right Mm -hmm. walking the road with them through whatever challenge it is Mm -hmm. you know marital problems problems with their teens you know it's it's incredible the gift of just being there and being present and listening deacon doug i think that's such a huge part of accompaniment this idea of meeting the person where they're at and just first and foremost loving them and listening to them um, cause maybe we have, I think as a Christian, sometimes we have such a great desire to want to meet their needs or help them to be evangelized or whatever it might be. And yet, um, a great gift is just empathy. Yep. Yep. And, and there's times that you're just like, Oh, like, I want to, I want to like, let me get to the next part. Let, like, you gotta, mm-hmm. no, you just gotta let them mm-hmm. be where they're at and mm-hmm. go through that stage. Right. One of those moments, uh, when, when my mom was preparing to pass, just holding her hand yes. at, at her bedside and having that gratitude to have that opportunity in a small way such as that just to care for her because I, I thought back to all those times that she cared for me and helped carry my cross mm-hmm. <laughs> you know she raised four boys mm-hmm. she cared a lot what a saint. for us yeah. and, <laughs> and and i mean i wouldn't trade that that shift you know that dynamic of a, a parent and child mm-hmm. and being able to give back um just to be just to be present and just to have that touch you know, in those final hours. Touch is so important. Yeah. It's difficult sometimes, especially for men, uh, to express that. Uh, but I think uh, that's one of the things that, that I see in healthcare and that I see with our own family is that not just the opportunity to be there, mm-hmm. be there is so important, just to sit in that chair and just mm-hmm. to be there with them. But also uh, the elderly, especially, they don't always have personal connection with touch. Uh, they don't always have someone holding their hand or, or like, um, right now we have, I have a father-in-law who's in an extended care facility and, um, he just loves when you hold him, when you mm. put lotion on, when you give him a kiss, when you, you know, all those little simple things that we take for granted. But as we age they they don't receive that as much. 
Celeste uh, Schmelzer, Deacon Doug Iglesias. That that I think that was one of the most awful parts of the pandemic mm-hmm. was, was that isolation yes. and cutting people off from having just as, as something as simple as, as as human touch. And I think we're having a hard time coming out of that I was gonna now. Say, I too. don't think we've recovered from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of people who have gotten comfortable in isolation. Mm-hmm as comfortable as they can be. And the, again, just the stories you hear from the diaconate and the, the working in the public world, it's just heartbreaking, the loneliness that's out there. They're, they say that there's a epidemic of loneliness for men, that they have fewer friends than they've had ever, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is a tough world. It's not for the weak, you know? It's, it's, we need to be walking through this road together. So how do we bring them in, invite them in, and, and minister to them where they're at and not overwhelm them, not scare them off. Right. But it's tough. And, and I think we see that in less marriages, right? There's people, yeah. you know, people aren't getting married. People aren't having kids. It's, I think going to be a wake up call for our world. And I think if we can make a difference, it's that, inter- that personal interaction with each person throughout your day, mm-hmm. that if we can just be authentic, love them where they're at, show them that this is, this is what a life of faith looks like and, and invite them in. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Or even in just the very simple ways to maybe break us out of this pandemic of loneliness, maybe that we're experiencing, mm. you know, as you're taking a walk and you see someone, you know, say hi. Oh, that's so awkward. Oh. Why would you say hi to me? <laughs> right? What are they asking? What do they want? <laughs> At the grocery store, you know, if you have the option to go through the line as opposed to self-checkout, why not just go talk to the cashier and make it less about the transaction and more about an encounter? So you say about learning from parishioners, right? I walked with a parishioner a couple weeks ago. We just did a four-mile walk, and he said good morning to every single person. There were like a ton of people out there, and I was like, wow, I do not do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was so convicting (laughs) that, you know, oh, here, Deacon Doug, you know. No, you need to be more welcoming. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And my mother-in-law does that. She, she, I don't think I could do it her way, but she'll walk into a room and be like, oh, you have beautiful eyes. And just this person will light up if it's a cashier or whatever. But as a guy, I'm terrified of doing something like that because I don't want, you know, like, oh, wait, what was he saying? You know? <laughs> so, Choose your words of affirmation yes, wisely. Absolutely. But still do them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do guys do it better? Which part? Well, just, just reaching out that way without it being kind of creepy or awkward. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think guys do well with low octane events right? Mm-hmm. Stolen from Father Dave Sizemore. Um, but, you know, there's high octane things we can do in low octane. Going for a walk's low octane. Um, coffee and donuts is low octane. You know, bringing them in in just those little areas. Uh, the guys at St. Brennan's, they do a um, steak and beer night, you know. And it's just, a, you know, hey, throw some cornhole. So welcoming, right? Um, I think if we did more of that or just inviting your neighbor over to your house, right? Oh my gosh, who does that, right? But just welcoming them. In Miami, we would see our neighbors all the time, right? But we would never really talk to them. But then came a hurricane. And the one good thing about a hurricane is it got everybody mm. to talk mm-hmm. and to work together for a common goal. And it was really... From a shared experience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no, there were a lot of hurricanes down there. <laughs> um, but I will tell you that, that that was like pivotal. And then it was sad, though, given two months later, 
people would go back into their worlds and just, you know, do a little silent wave. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to constantly fight that. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's harder in our world today. You brought up a good point with the COVID pandemic is like in the healthcare arena, everybody has a mask on, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can see the eyes and you Mm -hmm. learn to know who the eyes are and you can kind of read eyes, but you lost that uh, connectionness. And and And, the the body language, you don't see the smile Mm -hmm. or the, right? In, in the organization prior to the pandemic, one of our hallmarks uh, was that if you saw somebody within six feet of you, you needed to say hi. Mm. And so that became a very friendly environment and we were known for that. Then the pandemic hit and then nobody would say, you know, it was like, I got this mask on and you can't be, be around each other. Uh, but getting back to it, like you say, is very difficult because mm-hmm. uh, it's been, in, you know, we've been ingrained in us for so long that we need to get back to that welcoming environment and acknowledging people. I think mm-hmm. that's crucial for our churches, right? Yes. For every Catholic parish that can hear this, please smile and welcome people yeah. when they come to your church. Because I think, you know, we can get in that rut of just like, let me get to mass. Let me sit down in my pew. Let's get through this. And I, I've just watched people give the church a chance, that one chance, and they weren't welcomed and they don't come back. Yeah. Right. And, and if we're lucky, you know, the story of Aaron May listening to Catholic radio, it, it, it brought him back four times, you know, but finally the fourth time someone welcomed their family as opposed to looking at them with a bunch of kids and being like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is going to be huge. And again, if we see that every person walking in that door is carrying a cross, we can't see it. Right. Um, I had a person tell me one time their, their spouse was suffering with a lot of disability, uh, disabil- disabilitating dis- disease. And, um, and so you obviously went to them and talked to them, but the wife actually had something internally. You'd never know she had a problem, right? Mm. She's like, nobody ever asked me. All right. Mm. And so how do we just see every person as Mm. carrying that cross? And how do we say, this is an opportunity to walk with someone. And I'm telling you that will fill up our churches because people are hungry. People are searching. People are checking out churches, but they will not come back if they're not invited. Yeah. And with what eyes of charity will we start to see every single person if we have that in the forefront of our our minds? Like every single person has a cross and Mm -hmm. I just have to love this person where they're at today. Even those mad angry ones, right? Yeah, exactly. And maybe even especially. Yeah. I always like to keep in mind, okay, if someone is angry, they must have been hurt first, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Great example. I think I hadn't thought of it until this until this conversation, but recently our parish was one of the parishes that closed. And uh, so we were kind of church shopping. We kind of had a mind where we thought for sure we would land, uh, but we went to um, St. I'm going to shout out to them, St. Patrick's in, Junk, in Junction City, and they were so welcoming. Mm. Um, and that was the hallmark of what, 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 um, what uh, drew us to them uh, and I can see now how it's better now to embrace that cross of losing your parish and and all of the things mm. that you lose with that historical background and and et cetera et cetera uh, instead of bearing the cross now yeah. to embrace the cross and share it with those uh, be, be welcomed by those in that parish yeah, God has the plan for us so yes. we have to trust yes. that he knows what he's doing yes mm-hmm exactly Deacon Doug and Celeste, in our conversation of of actually embracing your cross versus merely bearing your cross, just any practicals that might come to mind of of daily carrying our crosses and and how we can do that 
maybe a little better today or moving forward? I love accountability. And um, again, with Lent, you know, some of my crosses doing the sacrifice, right? Like, mm-hmm. what am I giving up? And I gave up uh, Facebook and I was like, okay, that's good. So then I spent more time than I would have on Facebook on Twitter. <laughs> there, there, there's no point to that, right? You know, right. and and I was just like a couch, you know, a couch potato doing nothing. And um, my wife, you know, in her loving way, just gave me that accountability of like, so let's let's do something. Let's get engaged. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like a wake up call of, all right, I'm really not sacrificing. So I think having that accountability that you can share with someone, hey, this is something I want to work on. Maybe I'm suffering with a terrible disease, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be mad at God. Can you help me? Can you walk with me through this? So asking that, I think, is huge. And I know with uh, friends of mine who've helped me through very dark times where I could say, you know what, I'm just going to be mad at God for a while. No, let's not be mad at God. Let's give this up. Let's, let's make it valuable. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Celeste? Empowering us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I think day in and day out to me family is the hallmark uh, that's where where um, the crux of having help to embrace versus to bear and like you say we all have challenges and we have some family challenges um, right now that we're working through and how can we embrace and help each other mm. through this difficult time uh, both the grandchildren as well as our adult children and um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. I think to do. Amanda, what's your practical? Yeah, I, I think in some of our conversation, we've been talking about some of the larger ways that we suffer, but I think I'm going to take away the idea of, okay, well, what are the smaller ways that I have crosses in my life? Even if it's just something as simple as tiredness, I can think about the little ways that I can offer my sufferings today and in every day that I face. For me, I think the word is awareness. Mm. Um, just getting out of myself mm. and, and paying attention to what's going on around me and, and look for those opportunities. And and for the grace from the Holy Spirit to to offer what's needed in, in situations, whether it's a touch or a word or just mere presence, just to be to be with somebody, mm-hmm. but then also to, to have the boldness and the courage to ask, uh, ask for that, uh, presence from, you know, from those that are around me and, and those that love me and, and, and just to, to be in relationship better. Mm-hmm. So awesome. <laughs> Celeste Schmelzer, Deacon Doug Iglesias. Thanks for being with us. God bless you all. Thank you for being with us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Have a great weekend and we will see you tomorrow at the men's conference. We're back here in the cafe Monday morning at 8. God bless.